Good morning. Open up with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, first book in the Bible. If you're here this morning, that must mean you still have all 10 of your fingers from fireworks last night. So congratulations. With all the fireworks shows shutting down, my sister went uh, to go get fireworks for our family, and she said the line was about a half mile down the street just to get into the parking lot of the place. My brother-in-law said the same thing. So uh, congratulations, you survived 4th of July 2020 with all 10 fingers. Hey, Genesis chapter 3, where it was going to be this morning, also want to take note that we got these lights installed now, and uh, it's supposed to help with our live stream stuff, which is awesome and wonderful, and uh, so really thankful for Pastor Joe and Jacob for getting those installed this week. I will say, though, if they fall, Joe installed them, <laughs> so you might want to start sitting a little further back in the room, because we don't know what's going to happen. That's right. Actually, if you'll notice, too, that's why I moved my podium back a little bit. I'm not an idiot. All right. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about the fall of Satan this morning. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to read one verse, and then we're going to jump around all over the place. Genesis 3, verse 1, God's word says this, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for this day, uh, Father, for this weekend, Lord, just, Father, the privilege we have to gather here in this room freely and confidently, Lord, to worship you with our entire being. And God, I pray now as we walk through your word together, Lord, that your spirit would be among us. Father, give us the ears we need to hear from you today, the hearts to receive your word, and hands and feet to live this out as we chase Jesus this week. Father, we love you. It's the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to jump right into this. I think for most Christians, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, even if you have some sort of background in the church, we would not deny the reality of a, what we'll call person known as the devil or Satan. If you read anywhere from Genesis through the book of Revelation, really from the front and back of the Bible, you will see that the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to refer to him as, he's present in the overarching story found in the scriptures. For some people, though, if we're not cautious, we have a very distorted view of his role in this overall story in which God is writing in the cosmos. For many of us, our view of Satan, whether we like it or not, has been shaped by Facebook posts. We've all probably seen that photo of the devil and God arm wrestling using planet Earth as their kind of stool in which they're arm wrestling with that quote that says, if you don't share this, you don't really love God. That's not true in case you were curious about it. Some of y'all shared it. I know you. I've seen you do it, okay? You can love Jesus and not share that post, just so we're all clear. If you don't get a thousand likes on it, doesn't mean God's not going to bless you. That's just not, that's not how this works. You see, one of the greatest quotes I heard many years ago in reference to Satan is this, that he's simply a dog on a leash in which God controls He's simply a dog on a leash in which God controls. And today, what I thought would be interesting to do is to give us some backstory from Genesis 3. Get want to do a little bit of the backstory. Who was Satan before this moment that we arrive at in Genesis 3, verse 1? Two weeks ago at our midweek Bible study that we call Mini Church, we were in the book of Revelation, and uh, this came up, and we talked about this. And uh, as I began talking to those that were in the room and my wife, I thought to myself, you know what, this is a holiday weekend, and so that we knew some folks would be traveling. And really, if we're honest, I think a lot of folks... We're just not clear. 
on who was Satan before he is who we know him as now. What is his backstory? Where did he come from? And we're really going to answer a few questions today if you want to write these down. We're going to answer the question, where did he come from? We're going to answer the question, who was he before he is who we know him as now, if we can say it that way. What caused him to fall? And why does that matter to me? Who was he? Where did he come from? Why did he fall? And why does that matter to me? Now, if you're new to Living Hope Columbus this morning, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's not often we spend the majority of time in a message talking about the devil. All right, We make much of Jesus at this church. But in the midst of learning who Satan was, we're going to tie all this together and we're going to lift Jesus up so big by the end of this, it's going to draw us to repentance. And I'm going to show you why today. So let's go ahead. We're going to answer our, our first question. It's this. Where did Satan come from? Where did Satan come from? If you're one of those people, likely January 1st of this year, you set a New Year's resolution that you were going to read the entire Bible in one year. It's July 1st. Anybody stuck with it? Not me. All right. But typically when you do your Bible reading plan for the year, you start in the book of Genesis. You read Genesis chapter 1 about the creation of the world. You read Genesis chapter 2 and you begin to see where God's forming plant life and human life and other life on planet Earth. And then... You arrive in Genesis chapter 3, we get to verse 1, and we come to this verse where we see the serpent, or the devil, just show up onto the scene. We see God creating, we see God doing all of these miraculous scenes, and then the very first verse of chapter 3, it's almost like out of nowhere, he just arrives and creates chaos on planet Earth. Side note, it's always fascinated me. If you've been at Living Hope for any length of time, you, sometimes I just see things in Scripture a little bit like, I'm just like, God, what's going on here? Do you notice Eve is not disturbed by the fact that a snake is talking to her? Like, if I leave church today and we have like this family of geese that just like every day they just roam up and down this parking lot. If I walk out of church today and one of those geese says, hey, Aaron, how you doing? That's going to be a problem, all right? <laughs> but Eve just, it doesn't even seem to phase her. It's just the serpent shows up and he says, did God really say this? But we have to, for me, it just begs the question, where did he come from? How do we go from God creating to all of a sudden the devil creating chaos in chapter 3? Let's go to the book of Job this morning. You can turn there if you want to. We're going to reference some, some verses there. Job chapter 38 if you want to turn there. It's interesting because the scriptures don't give us a ton of, of indication as to where he came from. But I think Job gives us a little bit of, of insight that will help us answer this question. Job, if you're unfamiliar... Old Testament book in the Bible was likely, we believe, the first book of Scripture ever written. First book was not Genesis. It was actually Job. First book of the Bible ever written. We're not sure who wrote the book. We're not sure who was the author of that book. We're really not even sure when it was written. We just know it was the earliest, but we're, we've had a hard time nailing down the, the date of that. And when you read through the book of Job, especially the first few chapters, you're going to find out that what happens in this book is we almost get like this, this curtain pulled back into the spiritual realm where we get to see things that are in the unseen realm. If you didn't know that, there's a physical realm that we see and exist in right now, but there's also a physical realm which we exist in too, most of which we just can't see. There is a cosmic battle going on right now where God is fighting on our behalf, working all things for our good, for his glory for all eternity. And in Job, the first couple chapters, we kind of see that curtain pulled back a little bit and we get a glimpse into that world. If you read through the book of Job, you'll find out that God allows Job's life, which was extremely prosperous. Job was likely one of the richest man, men on planet Earth. 
The devil comes to to God and says, let me uh, inflict some things upon Job. God allows it. What ultimately happens is Job's entire life is torn away from him. It's negatively affected. But what happens in the first good chunk of Job is Job continues to remain faithful to God. But as you journey through the book of Job and you see a ton of back and forth between Job and his friends, you get towards the end and you see Job kind of having a one-on-one conversation with God where so much has happened to him that Job begins to question God himself. And in that questioning, if you've never read those late chapters in Job, read them. Because in those late chapters of Job, we get a glimpse into many things that we don't see in the first two chapters of Genesis. Sometimes all we see in Genesis is the words God created. Job sheds a little bit more light on those things for us. You see, one's a 30,000-foot view. Job sometimes gives us ground level as to what God actually did in those scenarios. And in one of those, we see when God created angels. Now, I didn't know this until this week, and today's message is going to be more of a teaching time. Sometimes, if you're new here, I get hooting and hollering and sweating. It's going to be a little bit less of that today. Because I think this is so important for us to know as Christians. If you didn't know, hear hear this, um, Satan was an angel. He is an angel. He's a fallen angel. And Job shows us when angels were created. This fascinated me because I did not know it. Watch this. Job chapter 38, verses 4 and 7. Job goes to God and he starts questioning. He says, God, what are you doing? Why is all this stuff happening to me? Here's what God says to him. Job, sit down, big boy. Let's have a conversation. You ever had to do that with your kids? They start questioning your decisions, your authority, what you think they should do. Eventually, as a parent, sometimes you've got to tell them, sit in the chair. We're about to have a talk in Jesus' name. That's what, Job, that's what God does to Job. And look at what he says here. He says, Job, where were you when I established the earth? We're back in Genesis chapter 1. He says, tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. And you see what God's doing to Job? He says, Job, you know everything. You know why everything's going on in the world. Let me explain this to you. you. You tell me since you're so smart. He said, who stretched out a measuring line across it? Who supports the earth's foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? Oh, watch this. This is so cool to me. Who laid the earth's cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God were shouting for joy? See, here's what's really interesting to me. You could read throughout the scriptures where the angels are often referred to as stars and sons of God. You see that throughout the Old Testament specifically. So what, is, what do we see here? God gives us a glimpse behind the curtain as he's talking to Job. And he says, hey, um, when I was speaking things into existence in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, things became. That's incredible. That's incredible. He says, as I was doing that, the hosts and myriad of angels were standing behind me in the corridors of eternity, singing my praises as they watched me do it. Friends, that blows my mind. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when did God create Satan? Bible says in the beginning, God created what? Heavens and somewhere right there. Somewhere when God created the heavens and he spoke, myriads of angels came out of his, his, his speech, literally, came into existence. And the moment they were created, they didn't stand up and question him, nothing. What did they do? They sang to him. They sang his praises. And then what did God do? He spoke the earth into existence. He spoke all creation into existence. So let's answer our first question. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? From the speech 
of God before the creation of the world. Let me do a little side note here. We need to understand this about the devil. We give him way too much credit in Western culture. Can I tell you something? He's not infinite. He's not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time like our God can. He can be here and then there, not everywhere in between at the same time. He is a very finite being. He was created by God. He's a created being. He's not tough stuff. He's a bulldog on the leash of God. If God wants to, he just yanks the chain on him a little bit and the devil squeals. That's who he is. We give him way too much credit in our culture. What was his role before Genesis chapter 3? Look at this. Up to this point in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. What role did Satan actually serve? You and I know him according to the New Testament as the great deceiver. Second Peter says he's a roaring lion prowling around seeking those whom he can devour. But Ezekiel 28 actually shows us what he actually did. Turn with there with me if you want to. Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to look at several verses here real quick. Ezekiel chapter 28 is a, a, a prophetic chapter written by the prophet Ezekiel. It was written to the king of Tyre. This was a real person who existed in real time and space. But what's interesting is you read through Ezekiel chapter 28. Once you get to verse 12, you start to notice some interesting parallels that are taking place. And as you read it, you realize that as Ezekiel is writing this prophecy from God, he's referencing Satan. And so there's really two schools of thought we can take from this. One would actually be that this is just like a dual prophecy. It was written for the king of Tyre, but also Satan at the same time. Some would say, actually, this is the king of Tyre was possessed by the devil, which is possible. And so God is issuing this rebuke against Satan, but also the king of Tyre at the same time. Those are kind of two schools of thought. But let's answer a couple questions. What, what, what was he? What did he do? Look at Ezekiel 28, verse 14. It says, you were an anointed guardian cherub. For I had appointed you, you were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. Hey, first thing I want you to know about the devil before he fell, somewhere in Genesis 2 and 3, is that he was a cherub. He was a cherub. Now, we hear the word cherub in Western culture. Where does your mind immediately go? Naked babies, weirdos. Don't we? When we think of of cherubs, we think of the Hallmark cards where you have babies wrapped in loincloths with little tiny wings and they're chubby and they have harps and they're floating on clouds. That's what we think of when we think of cherubs. Now, I don't know where that came from. That's weird because that's not what they were in the Bible. I'm telling you, you read the biblical description of a cherub and then you see this half-clothed baby and you're thinking to yourself, whoo, what was wrong with the guy that came up with this? Because that's not what they were according to the scriptures. Cherubs are actually the most mentioned angels in all of the Bible. And every time that they're mentioned in the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, they're always connected to worship of God. I like to think of them, if you're a note taker, write this down, guardians of God's glory. They were the guardians of God's glory. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Genesis chapter 3, if you want to flip back to that book with me. Adam and Eve have just sinned in the garden. The serpent showed up, devil showed up. They chose to disobey God. Sin enters the world. They end up getting cast out of the garden of Eden. And what did God place at the entrance of the garden to protect that place? Look at this, Genesis 3, verse 24. So God drove the man out of the garden of Eden, and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Sin had entered the garden. What did God do? He placed a cherub right at the entrance of it to protect it. 
That was God's holy place. He's protecting it from sin. Here's another, Ark of the Covenant. If you're unfamiliar with that, that's an Old Testament place where God would dwell among his people in the holy of holies. It was a a box that was created by Israel to the specs that God had gave them. And in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle or the temple, it was the place where God would come down and dwell among his people. But over top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was actually two golden figures placed there. Look at this, Exodus 25, verse 18. These are the specs they were given. Here's what they were told to do. Make two cherubim, there's our angels again, of gold, and make them hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. So you have this box in the Holy of Holies where God would come and dwell among his people, and then you have these two cherub angels whose wings, the Bible actually said, would spread out over the mercy seat of God. Why? Because they were protectors of God's glory. And God would come and dwell among his people in the midst of the cherubs. This is incredible stuff to me. Satan, the Bible says here in Ezekiel 28, was one of those cherubs. When God spoke the angels into existence in Genesis 1, Job 38, Satan was spoke into existence. He was one of these cherub angels, a worshiper and a guardian of God's glory. Notice too, Ezekiel chapter 28 again, verse 14, that Ezekiel refers to him as anointed. He's the anointed guardian cherub. Most people believe that that refers to his position among all of the cherubs. It actually says in verse 14 that he walked among the fiery stones. Read Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. The throne room of God is a very intense, fiery, glory place. But Satan was allowed access among that presence of God. He was allowed closeness to God himself. Some people would say as a guardian of God's glory, as an angel who would sing the praises of God, that because he was the anointed guardian angel, that Satan was likely the worship leader of heaven. That as the myriad upon myriad of angels, the Bible talks about heaven having 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands more angels, that Satan would have been the pinnacle of them, leading all of the other angels to sing the holiness of God out to all creation. He was a worship leader in heaven. Sometimes it makes me question Pastor Joe. (laughs) Just teasing, buddy. It's what he did. Look at this, verse 13. Look at this, there's more here. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. We just saw that in Genesis 3. Look at how God describes him. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, laspis, luzuli, tur- I don't even know what that is, turquoise, emerald. You got all these crazy stones that covered his body. And then look at this. Your mountings and settings, they were crafted in gold. That means his exterior form would have been gold, and then he had all of these precious stones mounted in his body. Then what it says, they were prepared for you on the day you were created, Job 38. When he was created, God made him look like that. Now, we could spend time, I could show you pictures of each one of these stones so you could get this idea of just this rainbow of color that Satan would have been covered with. I don't think that's important. The important part to note is he's covered in them. Hey, think about this. Uh, Ten years ago, I, I was right around this time going to the diamond seller at Easton to buy, to buy an engagement ring to ask my girlfriend at the time to marry me. If you've ever had to do this before, you go into that place and it's just a whole showroom and they got all of these precious stones inlaid in all these various rings. Now, when you find the ring that you like, they take that out and what do they always do? At the diamond seller, they put it on this little rod 
and then they take it. And you notice that in jewelry stores, the lighting is impeccable. You go in there and you're like, whoa, I can see everything. You don't even want to look in a mirror because then you realize what you look like and you're like, ah, right? But they take out those rings and they put it on that little stick and the lighting is coming from every single angle. And what do they begin doing with that ring? They say, hey, look at this. And they start turning it. Why are they doing that? Because they want the light to make its way into the stone to be refracted and projected so that when you look at that stone, you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's beautiful. Hey, track with me here for a second. What if as the worship leader of heaven, the closest to the throne of God, covered in every precious stone imaginable, inlaid in gold, that maybe, 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 maybe Satan's role was to stand in front of the throne of God and to lead the myriads of angels in worship. But as he did it, we see throughout the Old Testament where God's glory is manifested in light, isn't it? That as he's standing there, the glory of God is shining out into all creation. And that glory hits Satan's precious stone-covered body. And rather just stop on him, rather it is projected into creation for all of the hosts of heaven to see. Woo! That's incredible to me. He takes the glory of God and not only protects it, it says he's a guardian. Did you see that in Ezekiel 28, 14? He's a guardian. But he's not only a protector, he's a projector of God's glory for all creation to see. We're going to tie that back in just a second. It's going to give you goosebumps, I promise. How did he fall? What happened to him? How could you go from there to the most despised creature in all of the universe? Look at Ezekiel 28, verse 12. It says, Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre. Remember, we said this is like a dual prophecy going on. It's talking of Satan. This is what the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. God says everything about you was amazing, morally, physically, intellectually. Satan was the pinnacle of what God had created. But look at verse 15. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until. You were blameless until wickedness was found in you. Standing before the throne of God, Satan made a choice. Ezekiel says wickedness was found in you. God says wickedness was found in you. The first sin ever created or ever admitted or committed in the cosmos, friends, was this. It was pride. Because if you read Isaiah chapter 14, you can read that on your own time. We actually see the five I will statements of the devil as he's standing in front of the throne of God. Standing there protecting, projecting God's glory. He says, you know what? I could do that better than he does it. I deserve to ascend to that throne. I deserve to rule over the cosmos more than he does. That's pride. And that's the sin, according to Proverbs, that God despises above everything else. Why? Because it's the root of all of other sins. Hey, how often, think about this, are we guilty of the exact same sin that Satan was in that moment? How often do we say to ourselves, you know what, God, I can run my life better than you can. Lord, I deserve to be in charge of my own life. God, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And we let pride manifest itself left and right. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back there in a second. Look at verse 16 of Ezekiel 28. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence. Myriads of angels praising God. Violence enters the, sin, the scene and you sinned. God says, so I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. 
Ezekiel says in an act of pride, Satan tried to take over as ruler of heaven. Violence ensued. A battle took place, but he didn't stand a chance. Listen to that. Devil doesn't stand a chance. Revelation 12, verses 7 and 9. Watch this. A war broke out in heaven. Sometimes we think that like, heaven was just angels singing all the time, just people roaming about, floating three inches off the ground, eating ho-hos or something. I don't know what we're going to do there. I'm not sure exactly sure. Sometimes things happened in heaven that we need to know about. Look at this, Revelation 12. Michael and his angels, they fought against the dragon. That's the devil. The dragon and his angels, they also fought, fought. But watch this. They couldn't prevail. Do you know, man, if there's one theme throughout the scripture that we can take from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, the end of the book, Revelation 22, it's this. He cannot prevail. No matter how you feel like he's pressing on you, cling to that verse. He will not prevail in your life. No matter how much you feel defeated and bogged down and you feel like you're just being pressed on every side because of Jesus, the devil will never prevail. I thought I wasn't going to preach this morning, but let's go for it. Watch this. So the great dragon was thrown out. Listen, you buck up against God and his authority, you know what he's going to do to you? Give you a butt whooping. The ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, he deceives the whole world. What happened to him? He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. The Bible says he actually took a third of the angels down to earth with him. Now watch this. Luke, 8, or Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus references this too. Jesus tells his disciples, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That means that heaven took note, that it was hard, and it was fast. He wasn't asked kindly to leave. He didn't just get to take his time going out the door. He didn't get to pack up his things. God said, get out. You know, sometimes, hey, think about this. You know, sometimes I think we need to do that with sin in our life. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's some things you don't just need to pray about, some things you just need to do because the Bible says to do it. And if you feel like you are being oppressed in any way by sin, by decisions, sometimes demonic forces, we believe those things. Watch this. Sometimes you just need to kick them out, tell them to get lost in Jesus' name. Get out of my house. You're not welcome here. Don't pack up your things. Don't take your time. You just roll out because you're not welcome here no more. Goodness gracious. What's he doing now? What's he doing now? Here's our last one, 1 Peter 5.8. It says the devil's prowling around on this earth looking for those he can devour. Looking for those he can devour. You know the devil's hell-bent on destroying your life? That he has a legion, an army, and myriad of angels that are hell-bent on trying to destroy your life and steal God's glory from him? That if he can get you to live for yourself and get you to deny Jesus, get you to profane the name of Jesus, get you to live in such a way that you make Jesus just look like a crutch, if he can get you to do that, he's stealing God's glory, and that's his goal. But why does he spend so much time attacking you and me? I think that's part of it. But I think he has a personal vendetta against me. I think he has a personal vendetta against you as well. You specifically, by name. I think the devil hates you. And I want to show you why. Because in heaven, Ezekiel 28, he had the highest honor of all the angels. He was the worship leader of heaven, protecting and projecting the glory of God for all the world to see. But sin entered his heart. Pride crept in. He rebelled and he was cast out. Here's a question I've wrestled with for years. Who gets to do that now? Think about that. 
When God created all of the angels in Job 38 and Genesis 1, he specifically, according to Ezekiel 38, created one that was the anointed guardian cherub to stand in front of his throne among the fiery stones to protect and project his glory. Inlaid with every precious stone imaginable. Who gets to do that now? There's a vacancy in the heavenlies. I'm going to get goosebumps. Watch this. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust. Dust from the ground, and he breathed breath of life into his nostrils, and that man became a living being. See, in Genesis chapter 1, God used an angel who was covered in gold and every precious stone to protect and project his glory. But that angel let pride creep into his heart, and that angel rebelled. Genesis chapter 2 rolls along. God says, you know what? I tried gold. I tried precious stones. That didn't work. Watch what I can do with dirt. And God takes a pile of dirt and he breathes life into it. Matthew 5, Romans 8 says that we're dwelt by the, indwelt by the Spirit of God. Matthew 5 says that it's our job to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good works and do what? They're going to give glory to our Father in heaven. That the Jesus in me projects out of me for the whole world to see. And when they see his glory, they praise him, not me. You see, Satan, when he projected God's glory, he wanted people to praise him for what he was doing. That's not our role. So God says, you know what? I tried it with precious stones and gold. Watch what I can do with dirt. Here's why he's got a vendetta against you and me. Because I don't know about you, but I could probably give you an example from the past seven days where I was projecting God's glory to the whole earth. I was doing my best to let Jesus live in me, through me, and out of me so that people would give glory to God through my life because I'm now the protector and projector of God's glory to the earth. God's doing something with a pile of dirt named Aaron. Hey, but has anybody else in this room thought to yourself this week, Lord, I don't like what you're doing with my life. I think I could do it better. Hey, Jesus, actually, I think I'm going to take over the throne and the authority, and I'm going to be in charge of my life for a season. Why don't you go ahead and step to the side for a minute? We've all done it where we let pride creep into our hearts and we try to tell God that we can do better than he can do with our own lives. Here's why Satan hates you. Because Jesus offers you something that he'll never get, and that's grace. You see, because when he sinned, he was cast out. When we sin, we're invited in. When he sinned, he was removed forever. When we sinned, God came and died for us. He'll never experience grace. That's why when a sinner repents, the Bible says in the Gospels, that it, it just fascinates the angels. They can't imagine. How could God do that for piles of dirt? <clears throat> why would he do that for them? But we're invited to that. God created you and me. Piles of dirt, Genesis says, that we're breathing life into for the sole purpose of taking his glory and magnifying it to the world. How are we doing? I know I've screwed up, but can I remind us today that through the simple act of repentance, God, I know I screwed up. Will you restore me back to who you created me to be? That because of what Jesus did on that cross, he doesn't hesitate. I'm not cast out anymore. I'm invited in because of Jesus. I told you we were going to take it back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time for your word. God, I pray that you would take these 
these words that I spoke today. Father, that your Holy Spirit would intercede on my behalf, Lord. Communicate the things where I fell short. Communicate the things where Jesus needed to be lifted higher. God, may today draw us to a deeper level of repentance as we draw closer to Jesus. God, I pray now as we continue to worship you through the act of singing, that you would turn your ear from heaven, God. Lean down from the heavenlies to hear our voices today. And God, it would be a sweet sound as we join in with the angels, echoing your glory through the corridors of heaven. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.